man, is there going to be some loving going on tonight in the bedrooms of Madrid? El portugués con pierna derecha, el golpeo de Cristiano. ¡Qué golazo! ¡Golazo de Cristiano Ronaldo para el Real Madrid! Will you stop talking about tennis players and stupid Hollywood hackers, Phil? It's the gladiators out there, man, not tennis players. Hello, Ala Madrid, and welcome back after a long break to the Real Champs podcast, episode four. This is the official podcast of Fansided's Real Madrid blog, The Real Champs. Uh, please be sure to check out the blog at therealchamps.com and follow us on Twitter at therealchampsfs. Our authors are all diehard Real Madrid fans who are hard at work producing a bunch of great content about our favorite team. Uh, so if you like the pod, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. Uh, or if you listen on SoundCloud, you can give us a like or a follow on there. My name is Alex McVeigh. You can find me on Twitter at McVeigh, And I am joined today by... Hey guys, I'm Lewis. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lewis0224. Yes, and uh, you're also joined by Ahmed. That's me, Ahmed Janina. You can find me on Twitter on at Ahmed Janina. All right. Well, it's been a long time since we've gotten together to do a podcast, so I know we've got a ton of stuff to talk about today, uh, including, I am happy to say, Real Madrid's recent La Liga victory and the upcoming Champions League match. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's dive into it. Guys, Real Madrid have done it. We won the league. Yeah, Real Madrid. <laughs> Ala Madrid, indeed. Yeah, I was singing campeones, campeones, oe, oe, oe for a while. How about you all? <laughs> well, actually, uh, I actually really enjoyed it because Cristiano just ended things within two minutes, you know. Camini, everyone was afraid of Camini and what he will do and that he will save them and uh, he'll actually win Barca the league and what uh, Sandro Ramirez said. But, well, Cristiano does it. That's Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, absolutely. He's a legend and... You know, it, it really can't be uh, understated how important he's been for the campaign. I mean, when you, you, you go back to the start of the campaign and Cristiano Ronaldo was injured. Nobody knew if he was going to be the same Cristiano Ronaldo. I was one of the people who were saying, um, who was saying, you know, he's not going to be the same. Maybe it's time for him to get a bench position, maybe have someone else come in for him. And I ate my words man <laughs> what can i say uh the fact that he came back and he's been super important in the league when he came back especially toward the end of the season um he's been super important in the champions league too which we'll get to later but yeah it's it's crazy and i mean it's the first time we get the league since the end of the 2012 campaign so i'm pretty pumped yeah, this was, a, to me, a really important time for Real Madrid to win the league because, you know, we won the Champions League twice in the past three years, the decima and the undecima, uh, you know, with very little time in between. But there was just something bittersweet about winning the undecima last year, knowing that it had been so long since Real Madrid had won the league, and it still sort of allowed uh, Barcelona to get a one-up on us that, uh, you know, just they 
this year they don't have that, and they can't hold that over our heads, and it feels really, really good. Yeah, it's really nice because we also have seen a Real Madrid that is for the first time since really many years that is a team that is complete, not just the starting eleven, but also the squad rotation players, you know? Just you get a player injured, you just have the replacement, and the replacements also are quality players, you know? Players who could actually play in virtually any team in the world, and they would make the difference, starting from uh, James to uh, Isco to Morata. They're just br brilliant, amazing. There's also Kiko Casilla, who I think we have, we're actually underrating him, but, well, thanks for him. We actually had a very good campaign in uh, the Copa del Rey, had it been not for our little itsy-bitsy mistakes, but, yeah, brilliant. Even when Keira Navas was injured, he, he was superb. Yeah, it had it had it not been for uh, a few uh, own goals by Danilo, we might actually still be fighting in the Copa, or we would might have still been fighting this weekend for the Copa del Rey had uh, had Danilo not made a few boneheaded mistakes and put two own goals in the back of our net over the course of two games. <laughs> Yeah, but weirdly enough, he was super important toward the end of this campaign. Because, I mean, we, we talked about this. Obviously, uh, we haven't published any articles about it, but we, we usually talk during games and, and chat. And we've talked about how weird it is that Zidane put so much trust in Danilo uh, with Carvajal injured. And we talked about how Nacho could also play as a fullback, and he's actually really solid as a fullback. But in the last few games, Danilo's actually been pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to say he's he's better than Carvajal, but he's been more than adequate at taking over the position, and he's been there on the attack. He was surprisingly solid on defense uh, against uh, not only Malaga, but uh, I forget who he played before, but the last two games he was super solid. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird that he's the reason we're not in the Copa del Rey, but... He's also the reason that we actually might have won the league. He's one of those big factors. So that's that's kind of weird for me. Yeah, I think Danilo was important to be able to plug in because then that allowed Zidane to use the defender bench space for uh, Nacho, uh, who, if you're talking about one of the big stories from this La Liga campaign, you've got to spend some time talking about Nacho Fernandez and just everything that he has done for the squad and how amazing of a story it is that this guy goes from, uh, you know, having diabetes at an early age and uh, coaches and doctors telling him he might never be able to play the sport professionally to him becoming a regular in Real Madrid's first team, going from this guy who was the, you know, the ultimate sort of bench player and the fourth man off the bench uh, that all of our other defenders had to go down for him to ever see minutes to becoming this player who just really came into his own this year and showed himself to be uh, a really competent defender, almost to the point that people began asking the question of, do people like Pepe or uh, Varane get the start over Nacho when Nacho's been in this good a form? And that's just something that 
last season, I you know never would have expected that Nacho would be the player to step up and be uh, Zidane's jack of all trades to plug in anywhere he wants across the back line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually do agree. Really, it's uh, it's just that Nacho happens to be uh, well, I could say a mini version of Maldini because he is so versatile, and this is something you can't find these days. In defenders, you know, just fullbacks are like wingers. They run nonstop, and if you put them in the center, on average, they are shorter than most defend most central defenders. So they're not really good on headers. But Nacho, he's just he's literally the jack of all trades, as you said, Alex. He just you just plug him in wherever you want, left back, right back, center. Well, who knows? You might even be able to play as a defensive midfielder in in case Casemiro gets injured. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, he has really been versatile, and he also has quality. It's not like he's a uh, tier two player or something. Actually, he is a good player. When when players, he actually he can put up a fight with players like Varane or Sergio Ramos. He's simply underrated. I was actually really sad last year when uh, when they said the, when rumors when rumor has it that he was actually going to Roma and all, because he is really a player that you can rely on him whenever. Too many defenders are injured, as is the case in Real Madrid. You actually depend on him, and you're not really that worried. Not even against Barcelona or Juventus or whoever. You just He is quality. Yeah, and he also scored one of the goals of the season. If you remember that uh, overhead bicycle kick that uh, even everyone on the bench... Yeah, against ...the entirety of the Real Madrid bench when they realized... It was in the Copa del Rey, and they realized, wait, who scored that goal? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Nacho scored that goal? The Hammers reaction was yeah, priceless. Yeah, that was And the crazy. free kick he made, I mean, that no one expected. I, I don't know. I, a lot of us actually missed it because uh, if, you, if you're watching it on TV and not... Um, and, and you like you didn't see it live, you saw the replay because they were still focusing on Asensio being down. And Nacho, just super clear-headed in the moment, uh, said, you know what, I'm going to take this free oh, kick. Oh, God, yes. Was that, that was in the Sevilla match, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. that was And that was such a must-win match. That was probably the one of the harder matches in our last little run there. And cheeky, cheeky Nacho decides he's going to put it past... Uh, Put it past the defenders when they're still building the wall. I don't know. What did you all? What did you all think about that? We didn't really get a chance to talk about that. But did you? Did you think that was a legitimate goal? Well, judging by uh, by some videos I've actually seen on Facebook, Messi actually did it in I don't remember maybe two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and it was actually uh, it was actually <clears throat> it's actually a goal, a legitimate goal, and you know nobody nobody batted an eye, so. Why is it when Nacho does it, it's just everyone goes wild? Uh, from the moment that a ref blows a whistle and from the moment that all the players uh, stand up from the ground. So, okay, this is this is where it gets a little bit weird with uh, with the actual FIFA rules. Uh, when when you have a foul and, it's, and you call a free kick, uh, if a player is still on the floor, uh, it's by no means like you can't take that free kick, right? It's it's illegal, right? But you go if the players get up and uh, everyone, even if they're arguing with the ref, which is what happened with Sevilla, they're so busy arguing that they didn't realize that nobody was on the floor on the pitch. So when there's no, when everyone's standing up, that it's fair, fair ball. I mean, unless the ref can call it, 
he can go ahead and say, you know what, no, take retake the free kick. But technically, if he wants to allow it, it's it's perfectly fine according to the rules. So that's that's really smart play from Nacho. Yeah, I think this is one of those where uh, I think it's legal. I think if it were done against me and I were on the receiving end, I would be really salty about this goal. I I would be uh, I don't uh, I don't know. It's the kind of thing where I'm really glad we got the goal, but it's it it seems like it is legal, but maybe a little bit shady, and it feels like the kind of thing that if it ever comes back and somebody pulls this crap on us, I don't think we've got a lot of uh, a lot of room to really complain as fans, I think. Uh, it's sort of one of those live, live by the sword, die by the sword type situations. If we're going to get cheeky plays like this, we really need to be ready in the future for someone to use that uh, against us. And I don't think we would have a leg to stand on if somebody did. Yeah, but I mean... Either way, it's still really smart from him to have taken it. Like like you said, yeah, it's it's shady at best. I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of like a like an offside goal. Like let's say like the Cristiano Ronaldo goals against Bayern Munich. Is it shady at best? Yeah. Is it I mean, if the ref calls it, that that's it, right? And even with the Cristiano Ronaldo goals, you could argue, well, no, that's clearly against the rules. But this is one of those cases where the rules permit it. So it's not like it's it's not allowed. It's just a matter of whether the ref wants to allow it or not. So I don't know. I, I think if anything, it comes down to the ref's decision, not Nacho. I mean, it's a smart move from Nacho. It's up to the ref to decide whether it's bad or if it's a good goal. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not really going to overanalyze it a lot. That's yeah, and fortunately, uh, fortunately, the only thing that counts is the W and the, the three points, and we got those uh, en route to, uh, to a, really, a really fun uh, La Liga victory powered by, uh, powered by the, the power of our B squad, um, yeah. as, as Zidane liked to talk about. I, I thought it was really interesting that uh, Zidane played this season so well in terms of the rotation policy, in terms of resting, not just Cristiano, but for a while there, uh, when we were in that hellish month of April, Zidane was able to successfully say, okay, we're going to play almost an entirely different squad and make nine to ten changes for some of these games moving from the Champions League to uh, the league uh, with with just absolutely no no hesitation, no drop off, no real uh, it you know it looked like the same quality of squad was playing and I granted while they were playing against lesser opposition uh, they still that takes a lot to be able to go from not playing in about a month to now all of a sudden the entire the entire starting eleven are players who would be considered squad players. And I just thought that was such an excellent ability for uh, Zidane to manage the squad. And to keep everyone happy. Yeah, I actually think so, because he didn't just... Oh, okay, Lewis, go on. No, no, no that, just that comment. Not just the fact that he, that he, you know, had rotation players play in the starting 11, but also that he kept, you know, the big players, players like Benzema, Ronaldo... Um, toward the end, Isco is becoming one of those players that he he's kept happy despite rotation. That's something that 
that's that's crazy to me. I mean, can you guys imagine the season where Cristiano Ronaldo didn't play every single match and he was happy? No, no, never in a mil- never in a million years beforehand. And in fact, that was one of my biggest complaints about Cristiano Ronaldo in years past was that he did this thing where he was trying to play every single minute of every single match and he would get to the end of the season and just be exhausted and Drains. his injuries Yeah, he just loses concentration when it matters most. Yeah, and I think Zidane just did a, a really great job at managing not just the squad, but but managing Cristiano Ronaldo and saying to Ronaldo, look, you might not score 50 goals this season, but it, at the end of May, you're going to be in the running to win a double. And that's huge for, you know, for if Ronaldo really wants to get the ball on door next year, he doesn't need to score 50 goals. He needs to win the league in the Champions League. and He just not needs to score 20 goals that actually guarantee him a trophy or a group of trophies. You know, that's, that's actually the what you could consider the most crucial player in the season, and thereby he would deserve the ball on door. Yeah, absolutely. And that your point there is really well taken. That uh, in seasons past, Ronaldo has sort of gotten a reputation for being a flat track bully or for you know running up the score against the bottom dwellers of La Liga or get you know getting a poker against uh, you know a terrible team. Uh, and that's just not what he's doing this season, not at all. He's doing exactly the opposite, actually. You know, he just he he's he's a substitute, or uh, or he's not even including the squad against, uh, uh, for example, a, a team in the 18th place in the 18th place in La Liga, and then he goes out against Bayern and scores a hat trick. Yeah, <laughs> really. And I mean, you if you want to talk about the Ballon d'Or, I mean, there's not really a lot of players that can take it from Ronaldo at this point. I mean, look at the past 12 months he's had. I know the, the Ballon d'Or uh, starts right now, but started in January when they gave it. But if you look at the past 12 months from Cristiano Ronaldo, he is the champion of Spain with his club. He's the champion of Europe with his country. He won the Champions League last season. He's in the final this season. Uh, he won the, wor- the World Cup for clubs. He was voted the best player in Europe, and he won the Ballon d'Or. So if you look at the past 12 months for Cristiano Ronaldo, it's probably been his best year overall. And he didn't, and toward the end, he didn't even play every game. I mean, he he's he's turning into one of those players that, that's getting better with age and learning that, you know, you don't have to play every match. You don't have to score 50 goals uh, every season. You don't have to win the Pichichi you know, five years in a row to be considered one of the best. You just have to be important, which is one of the things that everyone criticized them for. Everyone, like you were saying, Alex, everyone criticized them for looking so much at the stats and not really being a team player. And if anything has happened with Zidane coming to the team, it's he's taught Cristiano Ronaldo how to be a team player and everyone is better for it, including himself. Yeah, you can really tell that in his playing style too. 
you know, I don't really, I haven't really looked at the assist numbers to tell if this bears in mind with the assists per 90 minutes relative to last season, but there's just a visible, just going off the eye test, there's a visible difference in the way that Cristiano has been approaching his game that's not reducible to sort of the typical narrative about Ronaldo that I hear this year, which is that, well, Ronaldo has just become a striker who sits in the box and that's how he has adapted his game. While it is true that Ronaldo is much more becoming a striker, the the like sort of poacher fox in the box type striker doesn't really exist on this squad. The the attacking is always sort of really involves sort of these dynamic uh, interplays and um, you know while we are pretty reliant on crosses from the outside and Ronaldo's headers do help there that's really a limited understanding of his game he is becoming a very unselfish player and a lot of what he does is use space really proactively uh, to create space uh, not just for himself but for other players so um, you know even if he's not scoring he might be assisting and then even if he's not assisting or scoring he's drawing defenders off of him so that other people can get the goals and if you look at the goal distribution chart we've got a ton of players who have all contributed to the goal scoring this season and so I think that's a big reason why uh, you see a transformation in Cristiano Ronaldo that just doesn't get captured you know you hear people talking all the time well oh well Cristiano Ronaldo has just become a striker and that it's I, I don't know that that to me doesn't really get at the complexity of what has gone on with his game what do you all think well, for me, I actually think that Cristiano Ronaldo's movement on the pitch in the final third is actually pretty, pretty underrated because if you actually look at him, I remember that ManagingMadrid.com actually uploaded on their uh, Facebook page a video that demonstrates Cristiano's abilities, not just as a poacher who just score, scores a ridiculous amount of gold and scores them when they are needed, like uh, the Champions League quarterfinal, semifinal, but also his movements across the field. It's just too intelligent, you know? It's just, it's something that's so advanced that actually it might, you know, forwards have to learn these things from Cristiano. These matches have to be recorded and the forwards have to actually uh, study these things and learn these concepts of thinking how to open space it's pretty, um, I think that a good analogy to it is Benzema. You know, I actually checked Benzema's stats a while ago, and I was actually shocked that despite the fact that he uh, scored a lesser amount of goals than Morata in La Liga, he actually had pretty much the same shot accuracy. And when you actually compare them in the uh, team play, he has much, much more key passes and much more assists. And when you actually give, give the eye test, uh, when, you, when you actually give the eye test, you actually find that Benzema, he is truly a player whose value isn't just tangible by goals and assists, but also his movements on the pitch. They help Cristiano a lot, and I think that's part of the reason why Cristiano, there have been rumors that Cristiano doesn't actually want Benzema to go, because he is really his teammate that understands him and allows him to score those goals. Without Benzema, Cristiano just, I think he wouldn't be as good as he is. What do you think, Luis? I, I think you're spot on man um and cristiano ronaldo has adopted a lot of that uh 
Benzema type movements too uh, in this formation. And I think uh, it comes down to both of them, but more than that, it comes down to the tactics that Zidane has used. I mean, if you if if Real Madrid was defined by something before the Zidane era, it was kind of this free flow attack. Um, everyone could kind of move around, and it was very creative. And it's the Real Madrid that we all wanted, or that we thought we wanted before Zidane. Uh, this Real Madrid that kind of everyone was free to go where they wanted. It was really exciting, but it also left a lot of holes in the defense. And I think it's partly why we hadn't won that many league titles beforehand. After Zidane got here, you started seeing more a more a very organized Madrid, and it comes down like I said to his tactics. You have it starts all the way in the back, right? You have Cruz. He plays behind Casemiro. Almost. Uh, he's the link between the back line and the midfield and forwards, right? So he'll get the ball, and then from there, he'll either pass it or he'll run. But where it gets really interesting is with his use of fullbacks, right? So you have the fullback, the fullbacks bombing forward, and Zidane is all about um, just overloading the midfield, right? So you have someone like, let's say, Marcelo go up and even in a narrow formation like the 4-3-1-2 that they use which is what we've been using with Isco right we don't have that width that we had with Bale but even then when you have Marcelo bombing forward Cristiano Ronaldo will come out to the left uh to the left wing right so what that does is you have Cristiano Ronaldo pulling back he's pulling defenders with him right you're overloading that area because now you have Marcelo Isco and Cristiano Ronaldo right in one area and that opens up Benzema. And it, and it's the same thing when you go to the right-hand side. You go with Danny Carvajal, you're going to have Benzema come out. That frees up Cristiano Ronaldo. Why? Because they're pulling defenders. So it's it's really smart from the players, but it's also it has a lot to do with all the tactics that Zidane has put into the team and how organized he's made this Real Madrid team. Yeah, that this idea that Zidane um, is somehow... Uh, tactically naive is a really interesting narrative that seems to, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how much traction it has now that Zidane has uh, managed to make it to a second Champions League final and has already won the league. Um, but this, you know, I, I think this is maybe a good time to talk about Zinedine Zidane and his uh, time at Madrid. So, you know, we've been two seasons, or I guess a season and a half, if you uh, don't count the sort of first part of the Benitez era, um, with Zinedine Zidane, club legend, back at Real Madrid. Uh, he's won the Champions League last year, the Super Cup this year, the Club World Cup this year, the La Liga title, and now stands to win another Champions League, possibly becoming the first team in the history of the modern competition to win the Champions League back-to-back. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I think the uh, we can officially put the Zinedine Zidane is a bad manager card to bed. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, actually, I have something important. It's a little bit irrelevant, but I actually just got to Squawka, and I uh, I don't know, is it actually Squawka, or I'm actually pronouncing... Uh, I think that's it, yeah, incorrectly. Squawka. That's how yeah, I it's Squawka. Yeah, okay. Uh, I just compared Cristiano Ronaldo's stats in the Champions League between 2016-17 and 2015-16. And uh, per 90 metrics, his chances created, 
Christian Ronaldo has created 1.06 chances per 90 minutes in uh, in 2016-17 and in 2015-16 he has created 2.02 chances that is actually a little bit it contradicts what we're actually saying this year you know it's pretty funny but yeah but you know look at his uh what about the league Uh, we're looking at Champions well, League right now, but uh, in the Champions League, you got to remember he had a terrible group stage in the Champions League. Yeah, that's true. That was pretty big. And the the time, his most productivity this season in the Champions League, interestingly enough, was after uh, the quarterfinals. Is actually in the form of goals. The you know he has suddenly put himself uh, deep into the running for you know these Champions League goal scoring records, uh, but. That was not looking like it was going to be the case earlier on in the season. Yeah, the, so I, it, I guess it makes sense that maybe his assists or chance created are less because he's not creating the chances for other people in the Champions League. He's scoring the chances himself. Well, I just got the stats uh, comparing La Liga. Actually, in 2016-17, he got also 1.06 per 90 metrics. And in 2015-16, he had 1.41 chances, which is really a little bit weird because I think it actually has to do with Cristiano this year maybe assisting more, but his key passes are less, you know? Well, either way, you can tell that Zidane is uh, doing, the, doing the most he can to get the best out of Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, which, you know, credit to the manager there. Actually, as I said it, uh, Cristiano, uh, sorry, sorry, Luis, uh, Zidane may not be, as I said it in my article, Zidane is not, is not the most genius tactician in football, but he is a great coach, a world-class coach, you know, he proved to us that coaching is just more than fancy tactics and tiki-taka and parking the bus and counter-attack, coaching has actually much more to do than that. And actually, me as a semi-professional athlete, I actually do acknowledge that tactics is not really everything. There are a lot more than tactics that goes into sports. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tactic. It, when you have players who feel good, you know, they have their morale is super high. They're gonna output a lot more than a normal player would. And you, you tactics come in are important, but I think it's more important how the players feel because yeah, if you have a happy player, he's gonna. You know, he's going to give more out on the pitch. But I wouldn't say Zidane's bad tactically either. I mean, just using the two formations that he regularly uses, you have the 4-3-3 and the 4-3-1-2. You're really playing with four formations with those two because the 4-3-3 doesn't defend in a 4-3-3. The 4-3-3 shifts to a 4-4-2 when you have Bale on the wing. He'll run back and now you have a 4-4-2 defending. And when they use the 4-3-1-2, when they defend they go to a 4141 so i i i think that zidane we don't give him enough credit tactically but i like you're saying yeah it's more what he's done is more important when it comes to the players than it is when it comes to tactics but i wouldn't say he's bad as a a bad tactician by any means i mean that's just my opinion. No, of course nobody can say that Zidane is bad tactically. I mean, it's, it just doesn't make sense that he wins the Champions League in six months and he's bad tactically. You can't just find someone like that, you know? 
So he is actually good at tactics, but you know, he wasn't. He, he, I, what I'm trying to say is, he's not able to conjure something fancy like the things that, uh, for example, Ancelotti did with Di Maria. With Di Maria, Carlo Ancelotti transformed the player from a traditional winger to something to what you can call a hybrid between a left winger and a left central midfielder. He just, it seems as if he entered Di Maria's attributes into some sort of algorithm, and he just found out that, you know, he just, he, the player just, he runs a lot, he defends well, he's fast, he passes well, he also knows how to dribble, you know, just put him in, and he just works, you know? Yeah. So, we uh, have the upcoming uh, final in the Champions League on June the 3rd, uh, 2.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, against Juventus. It's Real Madrid's second final uh, in a row. Uh, and like I said earlier, the opportunity for Real Madrid to uh, win the first consecutive Champions League titles back to back. How are we feeling, guys? Are we feeling pretty confident about this match? No, I can't really say. I'm confident myself because uh, Juventus are just to me some sort of uh, mega side Atletico Madrid. You know, they just—they're so good at defending. They park the bus pretty well. They were able to block MSN. Not a single goal went through their way, and uh, they are also very clinical in the attack. You know, Higuain and Mandzukic and DiBala. All of them—they're just—they they don't waste chances. You know, we just give them a chance, they score. That's really something that worries me because our defense is a little bit mistake-prone and Casemiro under pressure makes a lot of mistakes and that's what really worries me. But I do believe that actually Juventus have some sort of weak point. And uh, so before we talk about the weak points, what do you think, Luis? I'm actually relatively confident. I'm not going to say I'm 100% confident, but I'd say it's 50-50. And I'm... I'm pretty confident, and I'll tell you why. Real Madrid, it, it's like they were made to win Champions League trophies, and they're a completely different beast in the Champions League that they are in any other competition. And I think you can you can see that when, when you consider that even, even though we hadn't won the league title since the 2012 campaign, um, we, we won two Champions Leagues in three years. I mean... If, if that isn't something that, that gives you hope. And then you you were talking about how Juventus is a team that has a great defense. Uh, but when you talk about the greatest defenses of the game right now, uh, I think Atletico Madrid is one of those teams that you rank up there. I mean, maybe you don't rank them like Juventus, but they're second or third at least, right? And we destroyed them in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. We destroyed them in the Champions League and... And we could have won both games in the league against them. I mean, the first one we did, we beat them, I think, 3-0, if I remember correctly. And the second one we gave up with a... We didn't even lose it. We tied, and that was because of a dumb mistake at the end of the match. So I I think I'm pretty confident in our forwards. I'm pretty confident in our attack. And I think it's going to come down to the midfield, if anything. Yeah, I do think that, too. I actually also think that uh, if we're going to talk about the Champions League, it is true Real Madrid is very different when they play in the Champions League. It seems like the Juanito spirit just possesses the players and they're just like, oh my god, they're going to to destroy the field. They're not going to win, you know? Just Tramos' heroics since 2014. 
that was something epic. I actually think that we might have to share with the fans, uh, with our followers, how every one of us actually reacted to the uh, to the La Decima goal by Ramos. What did, what did you do, Alex? Uh, so I was in a, a bar in uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, and I was yeah. pulling. I was like pulling my hair out. I was like pacing nervously, uh, and then when the goal went in, I like hopped up from the bar stool and I started screaming and running around this bar. And I found the only other guy in the bar who was wearing a Real Madrid jersey, and I like hugged him. And then I went back, and the bartender was like, "Okay, so you're doing better now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you do, Luis? Uh, well, I was watching it with my cousin. And uh, it was just my cousin yeah. and some friends, and we were at his house. And uh, you know, I'm pretty comfortable yeah. at his house. I was, I took off my shoes. I was only in socks, right? So don't worry, this has something to do yeah. with the story. So when the goal went in, we all kind of just jumped up. We were all yelling, and uh, I ran for whatever reason. I ran toward the TV and I slipped and I ate crap. You know, I I fell down, but it was all <laughs> part of the celebration. It's it's one of like my favorite <laughs> memories and. Yeah, it's one of those things that I don't think I'll ever forget. How about you, Ahmed? Where were you? Yeah, it's really... <laughs> well, I was actually at a friend's house, and uh, we just made the preparation. It was uh, my first final uh, in the Champions League, watching Real Madrid play the first final, you know. I'm actually pretty young, and I didn't start uh, uh, being a fan of Real Madrid until a little bit recently, you know, like maybe uh, 2008, 2009. Okay. And uh, actually, that final was pretty epic for me because I do remember I had that uh, red T-shirt. It was the um, the alternate kit by Real Madrid in 2012, if any of you remember it. And I gave my friend the blue kit. Uh, it was Real Madrid's away kit, I guess, in 2014. And uh, we were just watching the match. Suddenly, Godin's goal entered, and I was just, my God, how, how did that just get past Casillas, you know? He just kept a clean sheet against a team like Bayern Munich, a team that under Guardiola, they were insane at attacking, and we just kept a, kept a clean sheet against him. So how come that happens again against Atletico? And then by the time the match went on, I just felt like I kept telling to myself, my God, I'll never live to see Real Madrid win La Decima. And well, I just sat in my chair and I was looking down on myself and, oh my God, the coolies were there just make fun of me and all that and all. And then suddenly I was just looking at the screen. I wasn't even concentrating. Suddenly Modric makes the cross. Ramos scores it. <laughs> Both me and my friend. I can't tell you what happened there. Just... Both of us screamed so loudly that his father was actually sleeping in the in his bedroom, and he just woke up and he had a great fight with his uh, with my friend. You know, he just freaked the hell out of him. <laughs> but my friend didn't care that day. You know, he just he kept telling him, "We are the champions. We are the champions. We won La Decima. Who are you?" <laughs> it's just so epic. That's great. Yeah. It's one of the moments I remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was really great getting to uh, getting to celebrate that Sergio Ramos goal, and then it just it just felt right after that. You could tell that Atletico didn't quite have the legs to keep up, and that things were gonna go our way after after that went in. Um, but speaking of speaking of Sergio Ramos, uh, Sergio Ramos hasn't scored. 
in a while now after have after having some really really clutch goals uh earlier on the season it's he's been kind of quiet recently when it comes to the goals department um i think he might be in to score a big late goal in the Champions League. I think this is... Yeah, I guess Juventus. This is perfect timing <laughs> for Sergio Ramos to pop up in the last minute and say, oh, you forgot about me? No, 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 no. Sergio Ramos is here. I, I don't think that's too far-fetched. Uh, all three goals that Juventus has has allowed in the Champions League have started through set pieces. And the only one you could argue isn't too much of a set piece is the Mbappe goal. But even that one was started from a corner, right? So it's technically a set piece. So, you know, when you with a player like Cross or Modric crossing in, you know, a late goal, Ramos up to defend, I, I mean, I, I could see it happening. I mean, am I going to say it's 100% for sure that he's going to score? No, but I, I don't think it's too far-fetched, man. I actually want that to happen, you know. It just trembles. My God, he just he plays on my heart, my man. Yeah. I guess I actually skipped a beat for that time in La Decima, and even the La Undecima. I also skipped a beat. My my God, it's just he's so clutch. Actually, uh, on a side note, uh, I we might have we might have actually noticed something. I don't know if you actually noticed it, but I noticed it. We have actually eliminated Atletico Madrid four times in a row from the Champions League. Two times in a final, one time in the uh, in the quarterfinal, and one time in the semifinal. I mean, those guys are just as much as a Madridista. I just feel so bad for them and for uh, Simeone. What do you think? I feel totally the same way. In, in fact, I was saying that um, had we gotten knocked out of the... Uh, Champions League semifinals by Atletico, I would have felt bad, but not that bad. Um, that's uh, there was something about it that's just like you gotta feel kind of hard done by that. Um, that's uh, I mean I know Atletico are kind of like our our city rivals and the the matches between the two teams always get really nasty and brutal. Uh, and there's, you know, a lot of kind of smack talking about who owns the city of Madrid. But uh, the, I still like a lot of things about Atleti. Uh, you know, I like that they're a really tough team. I like the, you know, the way the fans really seem to gather behind them. There are a lot of things to like about that club, even if they are our rivals in a way. I appreciate Atletico much more uh, as a rival than I appreciate Barcelona. And that might just be, you know, my Madridismo coming out that I just can't stand anything Barcelona, but have a little bit of uh, more respect, I guess, for... Uh, I have respect for all of our opponents, but more so for Atleti. And had they knocked us out of the semifinals, I would have been sad, but there would have been something okay about seeing Simeone finally get one up on us in that competition. But, uh, you know, it didn't happen. And, uh, instead, uh, instead it's Real Madrid heading to, uh, heading to the finals with a, a big, uh, match to play. And for Zinedine Zidane, uh, some big decisions to make also coming up, uh, into the final. The, I think the biggest decision that we've talked about so far, uh, 
you know, or, or that everyone on the internet, I guess, has been talking about is the Bale versus Isco debate. So just as a reminder, uh, Gareth Bale went down uh, with injury uh, in El Clasico and had to be subbed off uh, early in the first half in El Clasico uh, and has been struggling to try to get fit uh, since El Clasico in April. Um, there are reports that Gareth Bale uh, is relatively fit. He's returned to training with the group. He's been doing two-a-day training practices to try to uh, make sure that he's fit. But just the other day, Sid Lowe uh, wrote something for The Guardian that had a Gareth Bale quote where he says, look, it's obvious I'm not 100%. I haven't played any matches. Uh, so, you know, I would like to start. It's in Cardiff. It's my home country. Uh, I would like to start if I can, but if I can't, I, uh, I understand Zidane's choice, which I thought was a really sort of mature way to uh, for Bale to handle that situation that could have really become uh, very uh, contentious. But um, yeah, so uh, I, I don't know. What do you all think about the, uh, about the Bale versus Isco debate? Lewis, how about you first? I think that Isco should start, and I'll tell you why. Uh, surprisingly well first off i have to i have to say that the stats that i'm about to name are for champions league football specifically and another thing that you have to note is that gareth bale has played a whole 190 minutes more than isco in the champions league so take that as you will but uh gareth bale surprisingly offers a lot more defensively than isco does just because of how much he tracks back and and all of his experience as a left back before then but when you're talking about, you know, we, we have to, you're looking at Juventus and the first thing that comes to mind is we got to break that attack, right? And there is no comparison between Isco and Gareth Bell when it comes to just how much they contribute to the attack. If you look at Isco, uh, he has on average per game uh, 43 passes total. Uh, Gareth Bell has 32 uh, forward passes, 20 versus 16 from Gareth Bale. Successful passes, uh, 39.8 from Isco to 25.7. And when you and successful take-ons or dribbles, uh, you have two successful ones from Bale, uh, 2.8 per match, and you have 1.5 from Gareth Bale. So offensively speaking, and when it, and when it comes to contributing to the attack, Isco offers a lot more than Gareth Bale. And I think that's going to come into play uh, versus Juventus, you know, a team that we, we, we're still trying to figure out how we're going to, how Real Madrid is going to break through that defense. And Isco might just be, you know, that perfect piece to, to push that attack forward. Yeah, absolutely. Ahmed, what do you think about the Bale versus Isco debate? Well, for me, I actually do agree with, uh, with Luis that Isco should play. But uh, I think I do agree for slightly different reasons. Uh, for the first thing, uh, I just want to uh, make a little note, and that is that it just goes on to prove that Zidane is really another type of coach, something that is really different from the, uh, from the other coaches in world football, you know. As we just said, he convinced Cristiano to, uh, to distribute his... Uh, his <clears throat> His work rate upon uh, sorry to distribute his work rate on the whole season and actually save the most important part for when it's sorry 
Actually, I'm gonna repeat that sentence because it's kind of crap. Anyway, uh, Zidane actually convinced Cristiano to concentrate on the most important part of the season. That is the last part of the season, you know, when we start the quarterfinals of the Champions League and all. And I don't think any coach actually did that, whether you whether you think uh, Mourinho, uh, Carlo Ancelotti, and of course not Benitez. None of them actually could control Cristiano. How Cristiano, when Cristiano wants to play, he plays. But Zidane, he actually convinced him. And the same goes for Bale. He actually, he convinced Bale that... Maybe you're not fit. Maybe you will not be good enough for the match. Maybe Isco is better. You know, he just, he ingrained that soul, that spirit of the team. That actually, if we play for the team, we all win. We shouldn't think about ourselves. And I do think part of that is actually because Zidane is a legendary player. And, you know, uh, I, it's something in sports that when you see someone who, when your coach is actually a professional, when your coach is an ex-professional athlete, you actually sort of take his advice without thinking much about it because, you know, he has experience, he has hands-on experience, so it just, you take it without further consideration. And that's a good thing about Zidane. So, uh, back to the matters at hand. I do think that Isco should play, and that is because uh, of a multitude of reasons. First, uh, what happened in Classicos just it shows that our medical staff is not good enough. Something about it is just... It's, it's just not satisfactory, you know? Just for Bale to go on and say, I'm 100% ready, just and then he goes and gets injured. You know, it just feel like, no, he wasn't ready, and our medical staff were, they didn't do their best about it. That's one thing. The other thing, too, is that Isco it can be more efficient against Juventus. Juventus is a team that's unlike Barcelona. It's, it's a team that actually drops back. It depends on defending and counterattacks rather than pressing high. So Bale's speed will not be really that important in that match. Bale's speed can, can be more important when the Juventus players are tired. He can actually run between those players. Uh, also, I do think that Bale is not 100% ready. And as he said, he has not played since a really long time. So... If he actually plays for the full 90, he'll probably not do his best. But if he simply, uh, if he simply goes on for, uh, for like in the 60th minute, he'll actually just exert all his effort in those 30 minutes. And if, God forbid, 120 minutes, uh, sorry, for the uh, 30 and uh, 30 and 30, yeah, for the rest of the 60 minutes, you know. So I do think that Isco should play... Although I actually have that a little bit of a disagreement over Isco, and that is that he actually keeps the ball in his feet way too much, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's something that Isco has been criticized a lot for. That um, I do see that sometimes, but I think it's something that he's gotten a lot better at recently, and especially the second half of this season. He seems to be playing a much more accurate through ball um, and while he does occasionally sort of get caught out on the dribble, I think he's just so good at dribbling around people. Uh, you know, even when he gets sort of taken down to the ground, he can kind of scramble around with the ball and get around people. Uh, so I, I do see what you're talking about with, you know, the... I think people used to call it that Isco was selfish, and I don't really know if I agree that it was so much of a selfish thing as it was that he was just not quite finding the last pass. But if you look 
Um, you know, for both of the goals, the last two goals that Cristiano Ronaldo scored, um, those were both beautiful through balls from Isco. Uh, yeah, sure and goals. that was, you know, it's, it's hard for me to support the idea that Isco is selfish or that Isco can't um, find the find the back of the or you know find uh, another player when he's creating passes like that. So while I think that may have been an accurate assessment of Isco uh, last season, I think he's ironed a lot of those problems uh, those problems out. I I'm gonna say that Isco isn't as um, as. Uh selfish as he was before sorry about that blanked out for a second um but not for for i'm gonna go with the controversial reason for that i'm gonna say it's because he was lacking playing time and i'm gonna say that he wanted to show coaches and and the people that he still had it right he still had that magic that he had in malaga and that he could still perform at the highest level but at the cost of him looking selfish right so now that he's getting regular playing time, you know, he's happy with his playing time. He knows that the that Zidane has, you know, confidence in him. You know that the he knows that uh the public loves him. You know, he he doesn't really have a reason to showboat anymore. So yeah, he he still does his dribbles. He still, you know, he still has that flair that he always had, but he's a lot um more direct with his with his passing and and like Alex said, you know, he's He's been pretty important for the team ever since he took over for Bale. And I, I really don't see any other reason other than Bale absolutely demanding it, why he should, why Isco shouldn't start. So let me, uh, let me throw another, uh, another turn into this, another, another twist, if you will. What if the lineup comes out on Saturday and neither Gareth Bale nor Isco are in the starting lineup, but instead we see Marco Asensio. What's your reaction? Yeah, I was just going to say that. I'm actually just going to post a picture on Facebook and say that Zidane trolled everyone. Yeah, what if he does? I was just really? thinking that. What if he trolls everyone who we spend the two weeks leading up to the Champions League final saying, Bale or Isco, Isco or Bale, Bale or Isco, Isco or Bale, and then he's like, no, neither of them. We're going with Marco Asensio. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I think it might not be a really good idea, but at the same time, it's not a bad idea, you know. Asensio just proved that he is, he oozes class, you know. The man just, his first goal of the season, I can't, I can't forget it. He scored against Sevilla, a brilliant goal in the UEFA Super Cup. I mean, 21 or 20 years old, you score a goal from the outside the box like that. Oh, yeah, that goal, that goal looked like something you would score on FIFA. That goal was ridiculous. I yeah. just saw that in like a, a highlights reel, and I had forgotten about just how quality that goal was. Yeah, so uh, Asensio is actually a really good player. And it's not just that he is good, but he also has many qualities that, he, that actually prove that he's not just talented, but he also is intelligent. I don't know if any of you have noticed it or, or before or what, but for me, Asensio just is, isn't just a good attacker, but also he's a very good defender. If you actually look at Asensio, he is good at um, intercepting balls. And I think that might have been a little bit obvious uh, versus Bayern in the uh, home leg. 
he actually he actually intercepted a lot of balls, and I think his goal actually resulted from that. He uh, he dispossessed or uh, intercepted a pass from the Bayern defender, and he just ran and got the goal. And uh, another thing about Asensio too is that he um, he he tracks back. You know, he just he doesn't tire of tracking back like uh, other players. For example, Isco Isco has a very high work rate, but his problem is. One, he's not very pacey, and second, he um, he also he doesn't have that insane fitness like Cristiano or Bale, so he just goes tired after, after 60, 70 minutes. But for Asensio, Asensio can actually play 90 minutes non-stop, and he, ke he can keep his work rate at a good level. That's, uh, that's a very good thing. Another thing that I actually do like about Asensio, that Asensio can help Real Madrid uh, in, um, in shifting seamlessly between 4-3-1-2 and 4-3-3 without actually feeling so much trouble about it, you know? Asensio was originally actually an attacking midfielder, and in Real Madrid he just he thrived at a left midfielder. So I do think that actually Asensio is not a very surprising, or I'd rather, I'd rather say... Not a very bad choice. Actually, I find it quite good, but, you know, just when you have a uh, hundred million player on the on the bench and uh, another one who uh, is just who dribbles like a god, and it's just filled in a 21-year-old, well, you're definitely trolling the whole yeah, world. That's, a, that's the thing, is that Zidane has so many options that he could roll out. Heck, we could see James Rodriguez. Oh my god, I want James to play that match. Would it... I, I, I mean... It would surprise me, but I don't. Uh, I wouldn't be sad about it if it was Hannes in place of Isco or Bale. Um, it would really, it would really shock me if it happened. I don't think Zidane has him in that place in the starting order. But still, it's Hannes Rodriguez. It was the standout player of the 2014 World Cup who's been sitting on our bench waiting to come off the bench to score goals against Barcelona. Like, that's just a... It's yeah, a and he scores golazos only, yeah, you know? Goal, yeah, <laughs> all golazos all the time. Hannes Rodriguez just doesn't score bad-looking goals. That uh, That is... That's... It's... Uh, it's really crazy that we've got a player of that quality um, on our bench. Yeah, and and I'll I'll give you another choice, even off the bench. What if you had Lucas Vasquez? Lucas Vasquez, right yes, I was. Just and you have him that. supplying crosses constantly during the match from the right wing. You know, any of those choices are good choices. Honestly, I mean, yeah, Isco and Bale have been you know stars for Real Madrid, and Isco has that flair. Bale has. Uh, you know that that finishing that that you expect from a from three forwards, right? That from the BBC. But I mean, any of those choices, James, Asensio, Vasquez, they're all good, and that's crazy to think. I mean, at any time in the match, right? You could have Isco come out and have Asensio come in or Vasquez come in, change the formation, and it could completely change the match. Same thing for James. You could have. Is, uh, Hamas replaced Isco directly and yeah I mean honestly any of those choices sound good to me I wouldn't be upset with any of them uh, actually I do think that Lucas Vasquez wouldn't be a very good option if we are actually going to put him in the starting 11 and it's not because there's something wrong about us, uh, about Vasquez but the problem about Lucas Vasquez I don't know if you have noticed it but I do think that Lucas Vasquez, as much as he's really good at dribbling, he tracks back perfectly and he does brilliant crosses. On a side note, he actually assisted uh, 
Ramos's winner in our uh, in our match against Sevilla in the UEFA Super Cup. Uh, back to the matters at hand. Uh, Vasquez is really good at nearly everything involving football except finishing. And I think in matches like UEFA Champions League final, you just want every player to be able to finish because, you know, it's just the slightest of differences that make the, di the difference, you know? Sorry, the slightest of things that actually make the difference. So I do think that Lucas Vas Vasquez could be a uh, more of a substitute, you know. He can actually run up and down and uh, give crosses if we're actually late in the scoreline. So he can actually make the difference if he comes from the bench, but from the starting eleven, I can't really see it as the best option. But again, Zidane is the coach. What do you think, uh, Alex? You know, I think it's really interesting that if we were having this discussion, if for some random reason the Champions League final of Real Madrid against Juventus were played in October and Gareth Bale were hurt, and we were looking at who we thought Zidane would use to replace Isco or Asensio or Vasquez, I think it would be Lucas Vasquez, which is a really interesting transformation that's happened over the course of the season. Lucas Vasquez has surprisingly been one of the only players who I think has maybe fallen a little bit this season in terms of the depth chart. And I don't know if it's necessarily that Lucas Vasquez himself has performed poorly or if it's just that Isco and uh, Marco Asensio have really shown their class uh, and the extra thing that they bring to the table in terms of uh, you know, some of the dynamism and the precision that they have that um, uh, Lucas Vasquez doesn't have. Lucas Vasquez has got an engine. He is really fast. Uh, he, you know, he, he's got a hundred percent work effort all the time, but he just doesn't quite have that quality or skill in the final third, even though he's, you know, produced some great assists uh, and, and has produced some really great attacking play. He just doesn't seem to have cemented his place in the same way that somebody like Marco Asensio or Isco has. But I think had we been having this conversation in October, you could have really seriously considered Lucas Vasquez for one of those starting places. I think it comes out of versatility because, I mean, Marco Asensio and Isco are very versatile players. Um, both of them can play... On either wing, if they want to, both of them can play through the middle as attacking midfielders. They they're good enough at finishing that you know they could push up higher on the pitch. They can. Uh, Asensio is intelligent enough uh, to track back and and be a, a left midfielder in the, and you know in the strict uh, sense. And Vasquez really only plays on the right wing. He he was chosen, I think, over Isco and James and Asensio. Uh, earlier in the season because he was a direct replacement to Bale. But as soon as you change the formation or you require anything different from from Vasquez, you know, he is when you see his his output go down. So yeah, I think Vasquez is good is like the perfect replacement for Bale in a strict sense, like if you need someone to cross in. But the reason he's fallen from favor is just he's not versatile. He he can't really play any other position well. Okay, uh, yes, just he, actually, Luis actually nailed it, you know. The problem behind Vasquez is that he is sort of the, the traditional winger, you know. 
He just he plays on the right. Yeah, he's really good on the right wing. But other than that, he just he doesn't really make the difference. You know, he is not the player who would just cut him frequently, like uh, for example Cristiano or or Bale or, or even James or Asensio. So just he is the player who just go on to the wing, cross, maybe dribble, but not much. And that is part of the reason why actually Zidane chose him at some part of the season over the others because he offered the stability and he offered that you know he just he he, he allowed the team to keep its shape you know the four three 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 he just he honed it and uh, I do actually I'd like to return to my article my last one I wrote uh, Zidane actually he 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 decided to play with a certain type of tactics. And he actually stuck to them, and he decided to hone them and improve them and perfect them, and that's why he actually used um, he actually used Vasquez. He actually used him in order to perfect this way of playing, because you know neither Asensio nor James or or Isco, none of those are actually pure wingers. You know, Isco and James are uh, if they actually play on the wing. As far as I know, they are called the uh, inverted playmakers. You know, the players who just who play with their inverted foot and they just um, they put through balls and crosses and all. But that's as far as it goes. But Vasquez adds that dynamism of a winger. So uh, that's all I have to say, really, about Vasquez. What do you think, Luis? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one other one other interesting thing about this uh, Champions League final. Um, is talking about the goalkeepers. And when you talk about the goalkeepers in this Champions League final, you would think that the primary story is going to be about Jean-Louis Buffon, that this is, you know, the one big tournament that he has not won. It's sort of the last line on his CV that he doesn't have yet. Uh, and, you know, he's one of the most well-liked players in football. He's sort of... Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, sort of like the godfather of uh, Italian football. Um, not to make a mafia reference there, but I, I just mean, you know, he's, a, he's this, uh, like a founding figure for uh, football, you know, global European football um, uh, and Italian football specifically. But I think from a Real Madrid perspective, the goalkeeper is also another interesting issue because we also have a goalkeeper who is... Uh, world-renowned for uh, being a top performer in cup competitions, for being a great penalty stopper in the in the name of Kik, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Kaylor Navas, not Kiko Casilla, of Kaylor Navas. And Kaylor Navas' story this season has really been uh, quite the quite the roller coaster ride uh, in terms of his form. He began the beginning of the season and was, uh, you know. Uh, coming back from that uh, surgery uh, on that injury that he worked on and just looked completely out of form, was getting caught out of position all the time. But uh, he has really turned it around ever since about, I think the Classico was sort of the first time when we really had to stand up and take notice that you're beginning to see glimpses of the old Kaylor Navas. So uh, I think Kaylor Navas has a ton to play for this match. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, given some of the rumors about what's going on with uh, David De Gea at Manchester United, uh, Kaylor Navas might be playing for his future at Real Madrid in this final. I don't know. What do you all, uh, Luis, what do you think about Kaylor Navas? Yeah, I think that he's back. I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's, 
too crazy to say that he's back to his best form. And yeah, there's a lot of rumors about him leaving, like you mentioned. And if he plans to stay, if he wants to stay, uh, this final is his last chance to prove that, you know what, we don't need the hair. We don't need any other goalkeeper. We don't need to bid for Donnarumma. Navas is good enough. And yeah, this is his last chance. So it's going to be very important for him. Ahmed, what are your thoughts about Kaler? Well, for Kaler, I actually have uh, I've actually had mixed feelings about him all season, you know, because uh, Kaler, as you said, at the start of the season, he wasn't really that good, you know. He was nowhere near that godly form he had uh, last season, you know. He just last season he was saving us time and time again. It seemed it seemed as if our defense really it relied heavily on him. But at the start of this season, he was not really as good. And even until maybe I guess uh, the quarterfinal of the Champions League, he was not actually that good. You know, he started actually being good, as you said, in the uh, the Clasico had that small glimpses of him of the old Keo Neves that we all love and want. Um, but by the end of the year, well, he just made the grandest ending, you know. He performed great on the uh, quarterfinal versus Bayern, even though we actually had uh, about three goals, I guess, in our in our goal <clears throat> in our uh, between our goalposts. But um, he also had a brilliant match versus uh, Atletico in the semi-final, and he ended La Liga with the brilliant. Otherworldly saves in the against Malaga, you know, he actually made the difference. So even if we actually do claim, if you even if I actually do claim that De Gea is a better goalkeeper, considering that he's actually playing with a uh, a worse defense with, uh, in Manchester United, with all due respect to Manchester, but you know, it just makes you have those mixed feelings about Keller and De Gea, you know. Keller is really, really good. He's a Madridista at heart. But then there's De Gea, you know. He is, he's Spanish. He wants to play for Real Madrid. He is the future. No, he is actually the present of the uh, the Spanish national team. So it just, you know, I can't really decide. It's really hard, man. Yeah, the, the Keller Navas David De Gea debate is uh, a really interesting one. Uh, but I think a lot of it may end up uh, coming down to um, coming down to how Kaylor Navas performs in this Champions League. I think if Kaylor Navas is called upon to make some big saves, or if it perhaps comes down to penalties, and if Kaylor Navas is the reason why Real Madrid win this Champions League, I think it would be really, really hard to say, all right, Navas, now is your time to go. I mean, I, you know, it. It doesn't necessarily mean that Florentino Perez won't say, no, I want the shiny new toy in the window and still go get David De Gea anyway. But uh, if, you know, I, I, I'm a big Kaylor Navas fan. I really liked watching him with Costa Rica in that World Cup. Uh, and, you know, I just think he's a, he's a, a top class uh, just seems like a top class dude. Like just, just in terms of personality, like, um, you know, you can tell he really loves his family. He seems like he's, uh, you know, uh, religious in a sort of in a very deeply personal way. Um, and like his, you know, his um, 
thing that he did after the Champions League where he had Marcelo shave his head in honor of, you know, the kids that he's been visiting at the cancer ward at the hospital. It's like, uh, it just, he seems like an outstanding player and a really good guy. And uh, I don't know, it would be, it, I would feel bad if he ended up having an immense Champions League uh, final match for us, and then we still sold him on anyway. That would be really painful for me as a fan. I think. Well, we it would be painful for us all. Actually, I can't. As I told you, I can't really say that Keylor Navas is not worthy of the white shirt of the number one of the number one jersey. But there is that thing about the hair. You know, it's just as one author actually, as one journalist actually said it once upon a time. I, but it was actually on an Arabic site. He said that Kaylor Navas's greatest mistake is that his mother or and father, none of them, are actually Spanish. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> hey, that didn't stop. That didn't stop Diego Costa. <laughs> yeah, but that's because he's Diego Costa. <laughs> Uh, all right. So I do think actually, if he if he actually gives one of his one of his world class performances against Juventus and we actually win the Champions League, I do think that it will actually place too much pressure on Perez to actually uh, uh, to actually buy De Gea and uh, sell uh, and sell Keylor Navas because you know it just it would be a, it, it actually it would be actually uh, good for us as a team. For Real Madrid, you know, it wouldn't be good for the reputation because, you see, if the players actually see a player like Keylor Navas who does an outstanding performance in the Champions League final and then he is also a Madridista and no problems go regarding um, uh, salary and all and he just in the end goes because uh, the president just wants, as you said, the shiny toy in the, uh, in the shop, you know, it would just make our reputation... Much, much, you know, the players would not actually want to come to Real Madrid because they know they'll be like employees. There's not that familiar feeling about the club. No matter how much you love the club, once you're, when we just, once we don't want you, you're out, yeah. you know? So the players might not actually want to play for the club. I think players are, I think players are always going to want to play for Real Madrid, but I do, I do see what you mean. It's, uh, you know, it's not the kind of reputation you, uh, want to develop and I really you know it's not the kind of reputation we've been developing with a player like uh, Marcelo for example who's been really rewarded for his loyalty to uh, to the club and his good performances by you know eventually becoming one of the team captains behind Sergio Ramos and you know even though he's not uh, Spanish still very much feels like he is now ingrained into this club's identity um, so yeah I definitely I definitely understand that. Uh, so we've uh, we've been talking for quite a while here now. I think it's probably uh, uh, getting close to time to wrap it up. But before we uh, before we take off here, I did want to ask for your uh, if you are brave enough to venture a prediction for the match. Uh, what do you think the uh, final scoreline is uh, going to be, Ahmed? What is your uh, what is your match prediction here? Well, my prediction, I'd rather say that it's my wish rather than my prediction because it's, as Luis said, it, it's a very much evenly matched. So predicting is a very, very difficult thing. I'd rather say that I'd like the scenario of uh, us being, uh, you know, 1-1, uh, you know, Cristiano scores a goal and then maybe uh, 
Dybala scores, and then in the in the last minute, Ramos scores the winner. You know. Ah. <laughs> okay, so two one to Madrid. Actually, I'm actually beginning to like these. Two one to Madrid for Ahmed. What do you say, Luis? I'm going to say two one, but with an added twist. The Ramos goal comes in extra time. Okay, so two one also in extra time. So I. Uh, I'm going to go slightly different. I think Real Madrid is going to win it, but I think they're going to win it on penalties. I, I'm predicting a 1-1, and it's going to come down to a dramatic uh, penalty showdown. I think Kaylor Navas is going to uh, stop a penalty, and then Cristiano Ronaldo is going to score the winning penalty two years in a row. That's what I think is going to happen. Again? Again? Yep. That would yep. be amazing, he's gonna, man. He's going to run it back. Do it again. Okay. I, any of those works for me, man. As long as we yeah, win. Yeah. Yeah. A win <laughs> is a win is a win. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. any more last minute thoughts on the Champions League, y'all? Well, a por la duodecima. A la Madrid. Hasta el final. Yeah. So, uh, all right, everyone. Thanks for joining us for uh, episode four of the Real Champs podcast. Please be sure to check us out at therealchamps.com. Follow us on Twitter at TheRealChampsFS. Uh, subscri- subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Uh, follow us on SoundCloud and give us a like. Uh, if you have questions for the next podcast, please be sure to reach out to us on Twitter uh, at TheRealChampsFS. Um, and uh, remember, we're going to be producing lots of great content over at therealchamps.com. So be sure to check there for all of your match news heading into into this final Champions League. So, uh, yeah, uh, everyone, say goodbye. See you guys. See you guys. Hala Madrid. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and Hala Madrid. Some loving going on tonight in the bedrooms of Madrid. Now, the Portuguese with pierna derecha, the golpeo de Cristiano. Que golazo! No! Hollywood hackers, Phil. It's the gladiators out there, man. The tennis players.